Samsung's Unpacked event came and went this week, and I've got my former podcast partner, Joe Hindi, to talk about everything that came out. It was a noteworthy event, even if there were no notes, but there is a lot to unfold. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we are unpacking Samsung Unpacked, and no, that joke will never get old. To help with that, I called upon my friend and former podcast partner, Joe Hindi from Android Authority, to break it all down. We've got watches and buds and foldy boys galore. Plus, at the end of last week, Apple dropped a privacy bomb on all of us, and I've taken a week to... Kind of digest it all, and now that I have, I'm going to talk about it. And the TLDR is, it isn't as bad as I thought, while at the same time, it's much worse than I thought. It's because of this that we have a shortened news segment, so let's get on to it. It is time for the news of the week. To start off the news, I want to point your eyeballs in the direction of a how-to article I wrote for Android Central on how to use an Android tablet or phone as a second monitor on your computer. The answer, as it turns out, is to use an app called Space Desk. It's a completely free app that runs on your Windows computer and an Android app that runs on your tablet. It shares the screen over Wi-Fi and it's pretty much lag-free. I currently have it paired up with a Lenovo Smart Tab M10 that I reviewed about a year ago on this very show. Now, it's a 10-inch screen, so it's not a ton of extra real estate, but what I've been using it for is as a third screen on my dual monitor setup that I can load up a Netflix window or an MLB window when the Cubs are losing or YouTube music, stuff like that. And it all could be done on the tablet by itself, but with only one audio source and one set of controls. Plus, my workflow kind of requires a dual screen setup, so when I'm working off of a laptop, the second tablet can serve as that second screen. Anyway, I'm very much enjoying the new utility of a tablet, and with my three-screen setup, it's killer. And I share it with you so that you may enjoy it as well. SpaceX has been commercializing putting objects into space, and now it wants to commercialize space itself by putting in space billboards! And if you're thinking to yourself, that sounds like a god-awful terrible idea, you are absolutely right, but never fear, it's not as bad as it might sound, although it is still, to be fair, kind of bad. First, some gory details. SpaceX is partnering with Samuel Reed, who is the CEO and co-founder of Geometric Energy. This company wants to put an electric billboard into space. Now, this won't be a billboard that you can actually see from Earth, thank God. The light-up side will actually face away from Earth. But the billboard will be able to display things like company logos and animations and text. And there's a sort of selfie stick that has a camera on the end of it that will snap photos or video live streams of the ad with the Earth in the background. Peachy. Even better, people will be able to buy ads only using Dogecoin because Elon Musk. You'll then have to use the Dogecoin to buy tokens for the ad space pixel by pixel. Samuel Reed told Business Insider, quote, Hopefully people don't waste their money on something inappropriate, insulting, or offensive. <laughs> Tell me, Samuel, have you met people? 
Anyway, you remember a few weeks back when I complimented Elon Musk for actually being productive with his space company? Well, I'm not quite ready to take that back, but let's just say his reputation is in jeopardy. You remember that Pegasus spyware software that I talked about a couple of weeks ago? CNET reports this week on a tool that is designed to let you know if you have Pegasus on your iPhone. It involves downloading and installing an app called iMazing from the company's website, and then you connect your iDevice to a computer, click a handy little detect spyware button, and it will scan your iPhone or iPad, and it will tell you that you do not have the software on your computer. Or there's another method that you can use, and it's called the benefit of the doubt method, and here's how that works. Take your iPhone and then put it down. Now close your eyes and try to imagine a government or multinational corporation that absolutely positively needs to know what is on your iPhone. Here's a hint, there isn't one. Now pick up your iPhone and go back to listening to the Benefit of a Doubt podcast, and while you're at it, subscribe to the YouTube channel and leave a review and tell your friends. There. Now you don't have spyware, and you've spread the word about the podcast. It's like a win-win. Congratulations. Honor is the former sub-brand of Huawei that got sold off last year, which is good news for Honor because that means it is no longer subject to the same restrictions Huawei is under, specifically regarding Google services. So this week, Honor revealed the Honor Magic 3 line of smartphones, which includes the Honor Magic 3, the Honor Magic 3 Pro, and the Honor Magic 3 Double P, which is actually called the Honor Magic 3 Pro Plus, but let it be known henceforth, whenever a company has the audacity to name a phone, the, quote, Pro Plus, on this podcast, it will be known simply as Double P. And believe me, I seriously considered PP because that's how I feel about the terms Pro and Plus, let alone how I feel about putting them together. Anyway, getting back to the Honor Magic 3, Android Authority is calling these phones the best Huawei alternatives out there because when you look at the phones, there's a lot of Huawei fingerprints there, mainly in the camera setup, because the Honor 3 Double P and the Huawei P50 both offer a 50-megapixel camera, a 64-megapixel periscope lens, and a high-resolution monochrome sensor. They also both have the same wired charging speeds of 66 watts. Android Authority goes on to speculate that this makes sense considering how long phones are typically in the pipeline prior to release. The Honor Magic 3 was probably already going through prototyping when the sale of Honor was made, so it makes sense that this phone would come out with the same borrowed specs. It remains to be seen what the next generation of Honor Magic devices will look like, though, so stay tuned for that. Xiaomi also announced a new phone this week, the Xiaomi Mi Mix 4, which is destined for the China market. But alongside that announcement came a somewhat unexpected bonus announcement. Xiaomi built and is selling a robot cyber dog for around $1,600. And if you're wondering if this is anything like Boston Dynamics dog Spot, it very much is, except in the price tag, because this robot dog is about 140th the price. One key difference that Slashgear points out is that Xiaomi's CyberDog offloads a lot of the software development onto the buyers of the dog. The software is open source, and Xiaomi set up a community of developers who can share the apps that they come up with for the dog. The dog is capable of moving along at 7 miles per hour and can carry a payload of around 6.5 pounds, which, if you ask me, is not terribly useful. It's also capable of doing backflips and spotting and tracking and then presumably ultimately killing its owner should you piss it off. 
There's also an included remote and mobile app and voice assistant for voice control. The device also has an HDMI port and three USB-C ports for mounting hardware on top of it, like cameras or LiDAR, just so long as they weigh less than 6.6 pounds. There's no word on availability outside of China, which is both unfortunate and kind of a relief, because I'm not sure I'm ready to see people walking down the sidewalk with a robot dog carrying their groceries for them, but at the same time, I'm totally ready to see people walking down the street with a robot carrying their groceries for them. As for me, I'm nowhere near the kind of programmer who would actually have any use for this robot dog, so I will not be searching for how to import one, but if you do... Let's talk about it on the podcast, eh? And finally, this story went very quickly from whoa to oh, okay. Last April, NVIDIA hosted another kitchen keynote of NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang broadcasting their latest keynote from his kitchen. Okay, well, about an hour into the keynote, NVIDIA showed a completely digitized version of their CEO that used multiple camera angles of test footage and AI to control mannerisms, stuff like that. This week, NVIDIA put out a blog post indicating that the CEO of NVIDIA was animated during that keynote, and many took that to mean he was animated during the entire keynote, which was absolutely mind-blowing. Then it turned out that NVIDIA was only talking about the 14-second clip an hour in, and you were like, oh, yeah, well, I knew that. But the reason I bring up this story is because for just a few minutes there, it seemed like maybe NVIDIA had actually animated its CEO for a keynote, and it was actually kind of feasible. Like, looking around the world, we've seen amazing things happening from de-aging technology to characters like Thanos or the Hulk, who are completely done in CG with actors in, like, blue suits with polka dots all over them. So it's not completely crazy to think that they were that far away from actually just flat-out reproducing characters on screen and making them do whatever we want them to do. It's creepy, and it's fascinating, and yeah, it's definitely more creepy than fascinating. And I can tell you right now, without a shadow of a doubt, that our lawmakers are nowhere near sophisticated enough to figure out what's going to be okay and what's not going to be okay. So overall, I think we might be in trouble, but I think it's kind of a really neat problem to have. API, bugs, attachment, DevOps, backend, frameworks, backward, compiler, oriented, natural language, software, blue text editor, book margin, Boolean web server. Welcome to Tech Yeah! This week's Tech Yeah comes to us from a company called Raptic. It's the Raptic Rise headphone stand. And I know what you're thinking. A headphone stand, dude? Really? Well, yeah, and there's a reason for that. This headphone stand comes with a Qi charger in the base of it. Now, is that the most amazeballs thing you've ever heard of? No, but frankly, it's a huge space saver for me. And I use headphones 
a lot as you can imagine. So having a headphone stand is a great advantage. And having one with a wireless charging pad in the base, which is a footprint that would have taken up space anyway, that's a very valuable for me and that's what this is. The base of the stand is a heavy plastic metal combination with a sort of faux leather, or maybe it's actual leather, I can't tell, on the charging pad, which charges at 12 watts by the way. There's a single LED indicator on the front that lights up when a phone is charging. The stand is metal and attaches to the base and has a nice rubber coating at the top to keep headphones in place. The headphone stand is powered by an included USB-C plug and cable, which honestly, I kind of wish was a little bit longer. The back of the base also has an extra USB-A plug that you can use to charge another device if you want. There's a little bit of branding at the bottom of the metal bracket that holds the headphones, but other than that, this is a very attractive unit and it's pretty functional. It's a bit on the pricey side at just under $70, but that's kind of worth it to me because of the multiple functions going on here. Having a cheap head plus a headphone stand plus an extra USB port all together in one unit is kind of tempting at $70 if I'm being totally honest. Now, Raptic also makes a separate headphone stand that includes a watch charger right below the part where the headphones rest, and that's fun, and it gave me an idea. I headed over to the Home Depot, and for about 50 cents, I bought the nut, bolt, and washers I needed to bolt my own Samsung Galaxy Wash charging stand to the headphone stand. I plugged in the watch charger into the extra USB-A port on the back of the Raptic Rise stand, and just like that, I have a triple-duty headphone stand. The headphones rest on the plate on top, the watch rests inside the circle of the headphones, and the phone rests on the Qi plate at the base. That's pretty killer, and that's why I love this stand, but even without the extra watch charger, this is a very worthwhile purchase if you use over-ear headphones. And if you have a phone that charges with Qi, sure, that's a lot of caveats, but as always, there's going to be a link to buy the stand in the show notes, and if you pick one up, you'll be helping out the show at no extra cost to you, and you'll have my thanks. But for now, let's get back to the show. Last week, I talked about Apple's new venture to wipe child sexual abuse material, or CSAM, off the face of the earth by finally, finally actually looking for it. And I also mentioned that this has set off a whole round of FUD among the technology circuit, and I wouldn't render an opinion on it until I knew more about it. Well, at this point, I know about as much as I ever will, and I'm ready to enter an opinion for the record. That being said, there are probably parts of this that I have gotten wrong. In fact, there are definitely parts of this that I have gotten wrong. So, you know, keep that in mind. If I'm your only source of information on these issues, you really need more sources, which I've helpfully linked in the show notes at benefitofadoubt.com. All that being said, the fact that I'm an idiot is not only known, but it's actually part of the Benefit of a Doubt mission statement, so please do keep that in mind. There are basically three parts to Apple's newfound hatred of child porn, and I'll address each of those individually, and the first has to do with Siri and search. Basically, when someone says, hey Siri, pull up some of that raunchy 12-year-old action that only I and the disgusting people like me like to look at, Siri, or 
searching Safari is going to be all like, hell no, ain't you got something better to look at? Maybe I could recommend some nice Tijuana donkey films, something like that. Actually, that last part isn't true. But basically, if someone tries to look up CSAM via Safari search or via Siri, Siri is going to treat them like the reject that they are and suggest to them that they seek help and even offer to help find resources for their clearly deranged minds. Second, when a child aged 12 years or younger tries to send or receive an image that is sexual in nature in iMessage, the app will helpfully and in a child-friendly language suggest to them that what they are about to do is not a good idea. If the child insists, it will tell them, okay, but this is a really bad idea, and if you do this, I'm going to tell your mom and dad. And if the child once again proceeds, they will be able to complete the action, and a notification will be sent to the parent's phone, and I can only imagine what will happen next. And finally, the third and seemingly most egregious violation, at least according to the technology circle in general, Apple is going to start scanning photos that are being sent to iCloud for CSAM images, and if it finds a bunch of them, it will notify the organization in charge of policing CSAM, who will likely then call the cops on you. There's more to the story, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but that's the gist of all three of these things. So let's run them down again and figure out whether or not they're objectionable. And we're going to start with the first one. Now, what's not clear to me is if you ask Siri for child porn and Siri doesn't misinterpret that as mild thorns, is whether Siri will actually stop you from searching for that stuff. Like, if you search for child pornography images and Siri stops you, can you then complete your query anyway? Also, what happens if Safari isn't your default browser? Will iPhone stop you or just Siri and Safari? I'm not really clear on that. What I can say is that this of the three is definitely the least objectionable action from those announcements. You're asking Siri for bad things, and Siri is basically saying no. Now, some would argue that it's not Siri's job to filter what you search for, and they are right. Some argue that if Apple will tell Siri to stop letting people search for CSAM, and that's a slippery slope before Apple stops anyone from searching for anything objectionable. That's very true and a very real concern. Something like CSAM is pretty much universally unacceptable, except to the people searching for it, so everyone can pretty much get on board with that. But what about, and I'm making stuff up here, but what if Siri suddenly stops people from searching for COVID vaccine and 5G? Or what if Siri stops people from searching for where do I register and vote in the Republican primaries? Now, Siri doesn't currently prevent you from searching for either of those terms, though some will argue that it does. I'm not naming any names, but you probably know who I'm talking about. And for what it's worth, I think this is an area where Apple is allowed to go as long as it's transparent about how it's getting there. And as long as it understands that preventing people from searching for my pillow guy conspiracy theories, that a certain set of customers will stop buying their phones. This is definitely a place where customers can and will vote with their wallets. So I don't think Apple will do that in America, but Apple has made uh, <clears throat> modifications to their phones to operate in places like China. Apple has periodically removed apps from the China App Store, seemingly at the request of the Chinese government. So will Apple's Siri and search censoring continue? We'll have to wait and see. Now, the second part is the I'm a tell you mama part about this. Now, in general, I'm okay with this as well. There's basically no reason why any child should be sending or receiving sexual imagery when they're under the age of 13. 
In fact, even older than the age of 13 is questionable to a certain point. So if a child sends or receives something and clicks through the three layers of warnings, then yeah, I'm kind of okay with mom getting the notification because they are going to want to get on top of that pronto. Now, this measure is designed to stop what's called grooming via text. Basically, when some sicko wants your daughter to send naughty photos, that can lead to other things, none of which are good. And as I said last week, what makes me nervous about this is two things. First, that scanning the imagery being sent or received is happening to all imagery in what amounts to kind of clear text. There's no encryption or hashing here, and we'll discuss hashing in the next section. So if you send your daughter a photo of a dog, Apple is going to see the photo of the dog and know that it's a photo of the dog. So therefore, Apple now knows that you have a photo of a dog. What it will do with that information is anybody's guess, but there's no encryption going on here. What's not clear about this step is whether or not this is done on device or in the cloud. I assume it's done on device and the data is discarded afterwards, limiting Apple's exposure to the data. And I'm guessing all that because that's really the most Apple way of doing all this. So that brings us to the last one, the scanning of CSAM, but only that's going to the cloud, but actually on your device. And there is multiple layers of complication and confusion here, so I'm just gonna ask you, try to keep up. Before we get fully into this, let's understand that Google, Facebook, Dropbox, Flickr, and pretty much everybody else in the world has been scanning your photos for CSAM for a decade or more. Apple is not breaking any new ground here. They're just very, very late to the party. Apple has limited its involvement in this issue by basically turning a blind eye and just flat out telling the authorities, we don't know nothing, we ain't saying nothing. Now, first, this scanning only happens to photos that are being uploaded to iCloud, but the actual scanning itself is being done on device. So Apple is all like, y'all want to come to the club? Well, first our bouncer has to pat you down. Okay, that's fair enough. Second, and here's one of the weird parts, Apple is only scanning photos that go to iCloud, but it's scanning the photos on your device, which is a little weird, but it's done that way for a reason, which I'll get into in a second. And I know I'm kicking a lot of cans down the road here, just bear with me. Finally, Apple isn't really scanning the photos themselves. It's basically converting all of your photos into a hash, which you can think of as kind of like a barcode or a serial number. So like this photo of a car is encoded as 11254, and this naughty photo is encoded as 11255. Now for the record, that's extremely simplistic. But the moral of the story is the iPhone generates a hash based on the contents of the photo. Apple, meanwhile, has already generated hashes for every single photo in the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's Database. So if any photo hashes on your phone match up with a hash from the database, then there's a flag. What happens is if you get too many flags, Apple then reviews it manually. And if that checks out, then Apple reports to the user of that same National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and they're the ones that call the popo. Now, many people are taking exception to the fact that Apple is running this check on device rather than in the cloud. Apple's argument is that the more that's done on device, the less Apple knows about it. If it's done on device, then Apple only knows that one photo matched a hash. If Apple does it in the cloud, then Apple knows only one photo out of 75,642 photos match the database. And in Apple's opinion, the less it knows about, the better. 
Now, there's more to this story. Apple says the chances of a false positive are one in a trillion, stuff like that. But the gist of it is, Apple isn't scanning your photos. It's scanning hashes. So it's one more layer of privacy tacked on there. And I do not have a problem with Apple scanning hashes. Now, a lot of people are saying that these compromises that Apple is making are a backdoor into Apple stuff, which is something that Apple has flat out denied. This isn't really a backdoor because the photos are only being checked against this one database of hashes generated from known CSAM imagery. So could the Chinese government force Apple to scan for other things like... I don't know, Tiananmen Square, or could the Indian government force Apple to scan for photos of cows being slaughtered? I don't know. Well, according to Apple, no, because they won't do that. Now, if you trust Apple, then that's the end of the story. But many people do not trust Apple because they've proven that they can scan for kitty porn, so why not slaughtered cows? Now, first of all, there would have to be a database of known cow slaughter images for Apple to generate hashes for and then scan for. So it is technically possible, but... I really don't see Apple doing that. Now, if the Indian government said, do this or we won't allow you to sell iPhones in India, then I promise you Apple will give it some very, very serious consideration. Same goes for China and... I don't know, whatever images they would object to. Apple says it won't do that, but if the choice comes down to do it or you can't sell to our billion people, the only question Apple will have is how often the government plans to update the database. Now, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Of the three privacy intrusions, the one that bothers me the most is the iMessage and kids one, because Apple is scanning every piece of imagery that comes onto a kid's phone. Now, granted, this whole procedure is opt-in, but like I said last week, what parent is not going to opt-in? Now, these photos that Apple is scanning and objecting to are all picked by Apple, like... Porn photos, that was picked by Apple. Apple could have just as easily said platypus photos, and it could block those. This is by far the easiest privilege and privacy area to abuse. Now, I don't think Apple will abuse it, but they could, and a lot more easily than photos of dead cows. This is the slipperiest slope of the slopes, in my opinion, and I'm fine with everything else, including the scanning on device, because people just chill the hell out. Okay? But knowing that Apple is scanning any photos that roll into iMessage, even if it's just for kids, that's a little freaky because that means Apple could decide to scan all photos in iMessage, period. Or it could tell me that, like I said last week, it could tell me that my kid says fuck a lot. Or it could tell me that they're planning on ditching me at the mall on Saturday. Apple can't hide behind any privacy fence when it comes to that. That is active surveillance. It's opt-in active surveillance, but it's active surveillance nonetheless. And that's the one that I really have problems with. Now, to be frank, Apple cannot make this change and still claim that it's a privacy-first company because Apple is officially spying on kids and reporting bad behavior to their parents. Apple is basically nothing more than a little tattletale here, and that's the most irksome part. Is it the worst offense that any tech company has ever made? No, but it's pretty damn creepy as far as I'm concerned, and it's a complete 180 from Apple's stance from the past several years. Not cool, Apple. Very not cool. So anyway, that's the situation as I understand it. I hope you'll take the time and read up about it and not just post a hot take on it. You know, kind of like I did on Twitter and on the podcast last week. This really is more nuanced than a lot of the features that people are out there outlining. But overall, 
I think this is kind of a good thing, but with potentially bad precedents set for future bad behavior, and I really hope that Apple draws that line in the sand right here and doesn't step past it. This week, Samsung introduced us to its next-generation foldables, next-generation watches, and last-generation earbuds. Samsung Unpacked was noteworthy in that it was not noteworthy. <laughs> and just like we did back in 2020, we have brought back Android Authority to chat about Samsung Unpacked. Um, specifically, we've got Joe Hindi, who is who used to be the resident Samsung shill on the Android Authority podcast before he migrated over to LG, um, and that didn't go well. So, who are you shilling for these days, Joe? Are you back on the Samsung train? Oh yeah, back to my old, uh, back to my old. What do you call it? Uh, grounds. <laughs> all right, all right, yep. cool. No, tw no twenty ultra all the way. Nice, nice. So that's fun. Um, so were you disappointed by not getting a note this this year? Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, yes, because I, you know, it's that time of year, right? It's August, and it's time to upgrade phones, right? So it's the, it's the time they announce the note every year, right? So like my my animal brain is used to the to the pattern, and so now that I can't engage in that pattern, I'm like, what am what am I gonna do? Now? Just, I guess I'll keep the phone a little longer. Um. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed personally, but I kind of get it. I kind of understand sure. why Samsung's going in the direction they're going in. Yeah, and you know, we, we talked about this a little bit, um, and this actually isn't going to come out. Well, it, it 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 we talked about it on the YouTube channel, um, but it's going to come out in the high quality version, um, actually on the same day that this is. But we talked about this with uh, Cam Summerson over at review geek um you know talking about like how the note and the you know kind of like the ultra series of phones are basically kind of the same thing the only difference is there's no garage for the s pen so we actually speculated that next year or not speculated but we 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 discussed the possibility of doing like a samsung galaxy s22 S22 Plus, and then a Galaxy Note being the ultra version of those phones. So there's still hope. You know, we could uh, we could still see something. I really dig that idea, actually, because like the only reason why I don't buy the ultra, like the, the, the S series ultra phone, is because mm -hmm. I know in three months I'm going to be trading in for a Note, which is ah, just okay. an ultra. It's, it's, it's an ultra plus one, and the, the one is the S Pen. So it's the S Pen. Yeah, so, no, hear, hearing, hearing that out loud, that makes a lot of sense. I would really, I actually really enjoy that if Samsung it, started doing that. It really does. And, you know, there's there's been a petition going around from Sam Mobile. I reported on it uh, last week or two weeks ago where they had like 35,000 signatures asking Samsung to, it's a change.org petition, so nothing will ever happen. But it had like 35,000 <laughs> signatures asking Samsung to do a Note instead of an S22 or whatever. So we'll see. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. I, I, I signed that petition, by the way. Oh, did you seriously? Yes, yes I <laughs> that's did. That's hilarious. Absolutely. That's hilarious. Did. So, um, all right, well, that's good to have you on then because I didn't know anybody who actually had. So, And actually, every time I tried to load it, it would say like zero signers and it was like stuck in loading. It would never, it would never resolve for me. So, but anyway, it's fine. So we're here to talk about the Samsung 
unpacked event that happened in August of 2021. And I, I guess I'm saying all of that for the people that are going to tune into this episode like, you know, six months down the line and they have no idea what we're talking about. Because, um, you know, I totally get a lot of those. Hello, anyway, future people. Nice to yes, meet you. Hello, hello, people of the future. <laughs> but anyway, so what we saw today was in a kind of a weird order. Um, we got the... Samsung Galaxy Watch 4 and Watch 4 Classic, followed by the Z Fold and the Z Flip, followed by the Samsung Galaxy Buds 2, which I thought was a weird order to like introduce stuff, because I get the feeling a lot of people probably tuned out after the Z Flip and the Z Fold. Um, in fact, probably after the Z Fold, probably half the people were like kind of tuned out for the Z Flip. But anyway, um, so we got those things in that order. So that that's the order that I guess makes the most sense to talk about them. But before we get to that, I just wanted to kind of get your overall impressions of the of the event because, you know, you watched it and I watched it. I watched a, a replay of it because I was when it came on, of course, I was like, dropping off my son at school, so <laughs> I wasn't able to watch it live, but I watched it earlier today, and um, yeah, so like, what were some of your, your, your takeaways from the whole, the presentation at large? I, alright, so like, I'm still not used to the idea that they don't do these things with crowds anymore, right? Like, mm. we're obviously, we're in a pandemic world, you know, obviously it's, it's a bad idea to pack a ton of people into an auditorium with an extremely infectious disease roaming the landscape, Mm -hmm. uh, so I was not prepared for them to do a stage show, um, but have no audience. But I think they did it pretty good. Uh, I th It felt like a tech event to me, right? They had a bunch of flashy lights. You know, they had the, the person standing there. And then they had the big, like, graphic in the middle that showed whatever the person that was standing there was talking about. Very Google yeah. IO-ish. Um, I love the musical number at the end, however cringy and terrible it was. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have I have a slightly different opinion of it, but okay. <laughs> this for me was it may very well have been the Samsung event that cured me of ever watching a Samsung event ever again. Cause like you know, you have to understand, like I, I'm I you know, I hang I hang out with a lot of people that don't really watch these presentations anymore. Like they'll they'll know that the presentation is happening, they'll post their reviews of it, and then they'll go and read the you know, the blog roundups and stuff like that later on. And I'm kind of leaning more towards that camp after this particular thing just because the the part of the the part of the event that I did catch yesterday after getting home from dropping off my son was the part with the buds, which you know we will definitely talk about. But like I just got so sick of hearing the music you care about, the people you care about. You know, the the I'm just like, you know what? You don't know what I care about. You don't care about it. The three AM infomercial crap, right? Yeah, that was exactly it. And it was just and like when I went back and watched the whole presentation today, it was all filled with that. Like we're do we're building this for you. And it's just like, oh, you're building this so you can sell phones. Goodness. <laughs> um all right, so let's um let's dive into some of the devices that we saw. And we're gonna start off with the Samsung Galaxy Watch 4 and the Samsung Galaxy Watch 4 Classic. And I am going to screw up those names several times, not only during this broadcast, but probably in the future as well. So just audience, so you know, I'm going to screw these up. So like the Watch 4 
is the 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 cheaper one. The Watch 4 Classic is the more expensive one, and I believe the main difference between the two is that the Watch 4 Classic has a rotating bezel and different sizes. So, uh, um, from yeah. what I understand, the Watch 4, the regular Watch 4, is the more active person Focused. variant. Yeah, yeah, the one that okay. you would replace your Fitbit with. Gotcha. Right? Whereas the Galaxy Watch 4 Classic is the one that you would replace your Galaxy Watch 3 with, right? Like, if you want hmm. Watchy Watch, I want a Watchy Watch. You go with the huh. Classic. But if you want, like, the fitness tracker that also runs Android Wear OS and is a Samsung Galaxy Watch, you go with the regular 4. Uh, based on the coverage yeah. that I've seen so far and the images and the way they were talking about it in the presentation, that's the way it felt to me. Okay. Yeah, and there's there's definitely like a difference in the build materials that are going into it and like a slightly fancier look to the Watch Classic. Like the the Watch 4, I would call it like the Watch 4 is kind of like vanilla and like the Watch 4 Classic is kind of like the cookies and cream version of the of the watch. So it just it it it, it looks like it has a place um underneath a suit coat. You know, as opposed mm -hmm. to like you were saying, like the watch four is like more for like the runners and for the exercise people. I, I've never met any, but I assume that's what they look like. Also, the uh, the Galaxy Watch Four Classic is because they both have two sizes, right? They have like I know that it's not like this anymore, but I swear to God, it's the his and hers sizes. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. The his sizes are well, both sizes are two millimeters larger on the classic than they are on the watch for. So it is actually a physically larger device. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and if I remember correctly, though, I think it's the same size screen. Uh, one point three six inches on the big boys and one point one nine inches on the small boys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now these are going to be have Exynos processors, which. I, I was kind of hoping we might see something from with the new Qualcomm processors that they announced. Was it a week ago or so, something like that? Um, one and a half gigs of RAM, sixteen gigabytes of on onboard storage, and then they're talking about the uh, the 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 new CPU is going to have a twenty percent increase in CPU performance. Which thank God because watch um, <laughs> watch silicon is not good um but yeah so i mean and then what they said something about battery life and i don't remember i want to did they say 40 hours was it it was an it was an odd number it was like not two days it was not one <laughs> i want to say yeah. it was 40 hours it was 40 hours of continuous use so okay. like ostensibly based on what i've heard i'm not a samsung rep right i mean i know i'm a shill and i'm a fanboy but i'm not a rep right so right. you probably have to ask them directly. But the way the verbiage sounded, it was like 40 hours of use, but obviously you're going to get a few days out of it since you're not yeah. going to be using the watch constantly. That's fair. That's fair. So that's um, the assumption I made. And, I made and, no promises. <laughs> so like uh, and, and, and then they also took a little bit more time to talk about the new version of, of Wear OS. What, what, what was the official name that they called it? Wear OS powered by Samsung, I believe it was. It was a, it was a much too long name. Definitely not catchy enough for a bumper sticker. No. Um, but uh, I would probably go with the Watch 4 before the Watch 4 Classic, I think, just because I don't need like the fanciness that comes with the Classic, and I'm cheap. So, you know, there's that. You know, one thing that I wanted to uh, talk about briefly were the new health features that they brought. Um, 
including the BIA sensor, which tells you what your body is made up of. <laughs> um, so, like, you you touch the two buttons and wait wait 15 seconds, and it's going to... Body composition, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, your body composition metrics, which basically just tells you, like, how much muscle, how much fat you have. Um, I'm not sure how a watch is going to do that. I'm They had doctors, and they kind of explained how it works with, like, electrical pulses and stuff. Um, but they also did, um, a, like a sleep quality thing with like your snoring and like your watch will record your snoring and tell you, dude, you snore way too much. I still don't know how a watch is going to tell whether that's my snoring or my wife's snoring. Um, but anyway, um, I mean, they have, they have voice recognition now for like the assistance and stuff. So I'm sure it's probably one of those things where it's like train, train your snore. Maybe, maybe they'll train your snore feature, right? It make you snore into it on purpose. We, we've talked more about the watches than I think we probably planned on it. So let's move on to the Foldy Boys. Um, and we had the Galaxy Fold Z Fold 3 and the Galaxy Z Flip 3. And um, of the two, I think I'm a little more intrigued by the Flip, I gotta say. Like, I had the Fold. I had the Fold for a couple of months. I had the Fold 2, obviously, for a couple of months and, you know, I finished off my review of it saying that, you know, it's a great phone and I can't wait to return it. And I did. Um, and so but now I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm kind of curious about what that Z Flip life is, is like. So although arguably the the event today focused more on the Z Fold. But um, if you had to pick which which one would you which one would get your money? Uh, you see, I'm. I'm in both camps, like, at the same time. Because, like, I, I was on Twitter while the event was going on. So I was, like, paying attention to what other people were saying. And yeah. I feel like Samsung did a really good job of, like, doing enough stuff differently with each phone to, like, pique the interests of people who might not have been interested in that phone at the beginning of the day. Right? So, like, the Galaxy Fold 3, nowhere on my radar. We put S Pen in it, and this is your note now. And then, and then they took the you know the, the Z Flip, and now it's under a thousand bucks, and like now people are like, yeah, thousand dollars for, and it's the Snapdragon eight eighty eight, right? These are flagship specs, right? It's not like the Moto Z Flip. It's, it's like no, like this is like flash. It's a flagship phone, man. It's a flagship phone with flagship specs, a flagship camera, a flagship screen for a thousand dollars. Maybe like, not the camera, <laughs> but <laughs> well, oh, I, I've never used the camera. Uh, right. But based on what I've heard, it's the, the same camera systems that they used last year. And apparently it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like amazing. You know, I did I did a review of the Samsung Galaxy Fold 2, Z Fold 2, and I did a camera breakdown of that. And like I found the camera to be, considering it was a $2,000 phone, fairly substandard. That gives me pause for the Z Flip because I'm I'm a camera guy. I I need to be able to, you know, flip out my phone and take pictures of my kids or take pictures of, you know, whatever and have it come out be coming out being good. And I don't have that confidence with these with these setups because they're largely the same as last year. Understandably, like I, I can totally see where you're coming from. If it was that kind of like weird because it is the exact same as far as I've been told. Uh, by our reviewer, uh, Eric Zeman, it's the same hardware as last year. But I think that the flip, I think that the novelty of it, um, the, the whole foldable screen thing hasn't worn off by a long shot. If anything, it's more hype than ever because it's under $1,000 now. 
Enjoying this interview? Did you know that there are over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up on the bonus version? The full interview is available to all of my patrons right now over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like access to my Discord, early podcasts, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. And if you don't want to be a patron, that's okay too. Full interviews become available at the beginning of each new month. So, for example, trimmed interviews in January will have the full versions on February 1st. I don't want you to miss out. Just head over to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt and you can listen to the full interviews even if you don't subscribe because I still want you to love the show. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. That's benefitofthedoubt.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you take in some full interviews. And as always, I thank you for listening. You know what this is? This is a very much like the S21 um, launch that we had earlier this year where it was kind of like Samsung course it was a little bit more of a course correction rather than it was like a new generation of phones because like they brought they added a few upgrades but mainly I think the the story for these two phones was look at the price it's not two thousand dollars anymore now it's like what seventeen hundred it's not fourteen hundred dollars anymore now it's nine now it's a thousand and you know they still managed to tack on extra stuff there which is good but at the same time like neither one of them were was were like significantly better than the previous generation until you'd start talking about that s pen then that kind of changes again you know what and water resist you know what i guess i'm just stupid i guess i just don't know what the hell i'm talking about (laughs) because like you know they did add s pen support to the fold they did add water resistance to both phones which is kind of impressive i mean considering what they are world's first World's world's first, of course. I mean, you know, and of course you can't, dust resistance is light years harder, especially for that particular mechanism. But still, adding water resistance was a kind of a big deal. Um, But like overall, I think these were more like kind of iterative updates over the last generation, but they also brought the price down, which makes them pretty significant. Yeah, I'm of of two minds of it. I don't know which one is right, but, you know, I feel... the fold is twice as expensive, right? And it's also replacing the note. And so I feel like it, I, it is probably not accurate in the slightest, but what it felt like to me was that Samsung was trying to talk up the fold a little bit more uh, yeah. because they realized the gap that they were trying to fill with it, right? Because it's not like the Galaxy Fold isn't just the, oh, it's the really cool off the wall foldable brand new weird thing that Samsung's been doing. This is the Galaxy Note now. Uh, for all intents and purposes. And, you know, I just kind of realized, like, while you were talking that, like, I'm trying to figure out, I'm figuring out in real time whether or not these phones are significant upgrades or not. So the audience gets is is being treated to me trying to work stuff out uh, <laughs> in, in real time. So, you know, normally I'm scripted, and so this is, uh, this is a little bit of a different, um, different perspective. And it's also fairly fresh. I mean, like, the announcement itself was... 18, not 18, math is hard, 36 hours ago, and I, like, just watched it, like, 
less than 12 hours ago. So it's like, I'm still kind of processing this as we go. But um, overall, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I would say like the big, just to kind of bullet point it, I would say I'm really impressed with the fact that they have water resistance. I'm impressed with the fact that the Fold can now seemingly take an S Pen, even though they had to redesign the S Pen in order to do that. Like, they had to, like, put some stuff into the S Pen in order to make sure it worked. And don't use any other S Pen, because you will still mess this phone up. Um, but anyway, so I'm impressed with those things. I'm impressed with the price coming down. Uh, the underscreen camera, from what I've seen, actually looks pretty good. Like, somebody had the first underscreen camera, and it kind of looked like but, um, <laughs> um, but this one actually seems to be pretty good based on based on some of the samples that I've seen. Um, on the downside, uh, it's the same camera setup as last year, which my you know which my review said was not all that great on the fold. Probably about the same on the flip, which isn't to say you can't take good pictures, but it's oh they're not going to yeah. Um, and uh, you know, like a lot of the stuff seemed to be a little bit more iterative which is kind of weird that we're saying the word iter iter iterative when talking about folding phones. Um, but here we are. It's been a couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I dig the 120 refresh rate. I guess some people like that. Um, I also like the taskbar. I like that you can put three apps on the single icon and tap it and it'll open them up in like, you know, in, in triple. Oh, I missed that. That is cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, they Very like duo-like. <laughs> Yes, very duo and wing like. like. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it's good. They did talk about how they were, you know, they updated a lot of the software uh, to to work better with with uh, the app scaling and stuff like that. Uh, they also talked about the stock apps and some Microsoft apps. I think that were re optimized to make better use of the display. Um, like I, the one example they used is like the Messages app, where in the, the, yes. the Galaxy Fold two. Yeah, the Galaxy yes. Fold 2, it kept one big screen the whole time, right? And it mm -hmm. just transitioned like a normal app. But now it works in, in a dual pane mode when you open up Samsung, you know, the, the stock Samsung SMS app. So we should probably move on to the last bit of uh, the last announcement that was made, which is, I don't know, this seems kind of weird. Uh, the Samsung Galaxy Buds 2 are like the spiritual uh, successor to the Galaxy Buds Plus, which I'm trying to remember where those fall in the ecosystem of Samsung Buds. I want to say they're before the live. So, you know, you're, you're already about a year and a half old at that point. But these are like, I, I, I kind of think that these are the, the Samsung equivalent of like the Pixel Bud A's. I think that these are the, these buds that uh, Samsung came out with are, um, are are kind of like the the mid range equivalent um, of the uh, of the Samsung Buds because I have the Buds Pro, um, which uh, I did a I did a review on for the podcast, so link in the show notes. Um, but these are these are like a more affordable version of the Buds Pro. They're they started one hundred and fifty dollars, and which is kind of weird because the Buds Pro like are on sale right now for like one hundred and seventy. So it's like there's. Uh, it's kind of a weird positioning in the market for these. Um, they come in four different colors, and they're they you know they have the same kind of fit as the Buds Pro, in, in that they they still go into the ear canal, but they actually kind of fit inside the circle of your ear, so they're very uh, they're very easy to um, 
kind of disappear inside your ear. Um, according to Android Central's review, uh, the uh, from Daniel Bader, the um, the, uh, the 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 touch surfaces on the outside are a little bit more resistant to accidental touches than the Buds Pro. Thank God, because the accidental touches on the Buds Pro were like honestly like the thing i hated the most about them because man you would just like go to adjust these things and your podcast would turn off or your music would turn off and just be like dude come on uh but anyway so the he, uh so daniel bader said that they made some improvements in that area so that was good um but like it's kind of funny because like the outside from from what it looked like the outside of the case for all these different um, buds is white and you only see the color difference on the inside, which is kind of an Apple move, to be honest. Oh, for sure. But anyway, so yeah, they come in four fun colors and they're largely the same as the Buds Pro, but a little bit cheaper. And uh, that was really kind of all I took away from those. Um, I mean, same for the most part. It didn't seem like there were of all the things that were talked about at this at this announcement. This these seem the most iterative to me. Um, if that makes sense, hundred uh, percent agree. Yeah, they, they they were the most iterative. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like we have to release a Galaxy Buds two this year. Like we have to do it. Well, did we make any like huge changes? No, not really. All right, we'll put it at the end of the presentation, right? So, uh, so everyone's <laughs> already gone, right? <laughs> But the thing is, like, I mean, the battery life's not half bad for true wireless earbuds, right? Obviously, there's better, but there's also much worse. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they have that dual speaker system that I think is kind of a neat idea. Um, I've seen some other OEMs tinker around with it. I've seen wired earbuds tinker around with it more than, more than wireless. But they have, like, the tweeter and then, like, the separate bass separate mm-hmm. subwoofer to try mm-hmm. to produce two different sounds. You know, they have all those microphones in there that capture the voice and help cancel out the background noise so i feel like in those kinds of areas is where it, it's probably mostly improved because i have the uh the beans i don't even remember which what what the actual names of them are the, the buds Galaxy. live is the actual yeah the buds name, live yeah. i have the buds live and the uh, noise canceling on on those are a joke like I, I thought it was something the samsung put on there to make me laugh because it doesn't work um well without isolation that's going to be really hard to do oh i mean i don't care like i didn't i bought them specifically because they didn't seal in my ear and make me feel like i was gonna like explode but the thing is like these seem like they're comfortable it seems like samsung put in some extra tech to try to make them sound better it seems like they tried to put in some extra tech to make the anc better um i know a bunch of sites uh including sound guys is going to they're going to run these things through their paces to see if anything has improved. So like I don't want yeah. to say, it, sound things are so difficult. Yes, right? they are. Like, you know, like it's so uh, it is a uh, subjective Personal. from person yeah, to person. Subjective, yeah. Right. So it's like I don't know if these sound better because I don't dislike the way that the uh, the lives sound. Like I, I like the way the you know the the, the Galaxy Buds live sound. Yeah. Um, but it seems like this. It hits all the buttons, technologically speaking. It's just one of those things where, like, if you didn't like the sound of the previous ones, maybe you'll like the sound of this ones. Right. And I think the battery life has improved, which I think is the big thing for true wireless earbuds right now is to try to get those numbers up as fast as humanly possible. One hundred. You know, that might, <laughs> yeah, that might be the reason why they did it, right? Because the battery life, I think, for how small they are, because they are the uh, Samsung. Remember saying them during the. Uh, I remember them saying that it's the smallest and lightest earbuds that they've made. Right. 
That is true. So, yeah. and if the battery life is, even if it's roughly the same as the previous generation, it's smaller and lighter. So there is like, there's, it's one of those things where they probably didn't announce it correctly, but one of those things, it's still a little bit, you know, like another thing to add to the list of iteratives. Yeah. Um, is it's, you know, the same battery life, but it's also smaller and lighter, which will, which means more comfortable. Right. Uh, less ear ache, you know, less ear aching, less ear hurting, you know, mm-hmm. pushing and, and whatever. So uh, it's one of those things where like, I don't want to write these off. Because it seems like the obvious thing to do, right? Like, and, and I, I don't blame people for doing it either. That's what like, they want like, you to do. Write this thing <laughs> off, and I'd be like, yeah, nope, don't blame you. But I feel like Samsung wouldn't have gone through the effort of announcing these during their biggest event of the year if there wasn't like enough there to maybe talk about it in the appropriate conversation, right? I just yeah. think that, that putting it in the shadow of the Z flip and the Z fold was a terrible idea. They should have opened with this. This is an opening act. Yeah, this is definitely not a closer, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's all right. I mean, we'll see. Um, And yeah, they are the the smallest and lightest and if they get comparable uh, battery life to the buds pro, then I don't think that'll be a problem. So, but yeah, overall I'd say it was, like I said, this was the presentation that cured me of ever watching the Samsung presentation ever again, uh, just because I'm kind of done with them. But uh, overall, uh, you know the stuff that that they had to show off was I would I would say largely positive, largely iterative, but largely positive. I would say it, it was it was a good event for them. I don't think it's going to help them sell more phones, so I don't think that's going to solve the Xiaomi taking over first place no. in the world department. No. Um, in fact, I kind of wonder. I mean, maybe I, I, I have to wonder if Samsung's kind of counting on the Z Flip to kind of make up for like foldable sales because I still think the Z Fold is too expensive. I, you know, regardless of how much they brought it down, regardless of the improvements that they made to it, it's not a $1,700 phone. But the Z Flip, I think you can make a pretty compelling argument as long as you don't care that much about the camera. But I mean, like, I think everything else, you can make a pretty solid argument for the Z Flip. That's just one reviewer's opinion. We'll see if I, I'm going to see if I can get my hands on them. I'm sure you'll see if you can get your hands on them and we'll go from there. But for now, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap it up. So before we go, Joe, I just want to give you the opportunity to pimp your stuff and let everybody know where they can hear from you until we hear from you again a year from now for Samsung (laughs) Unpacked in August of 2022. I hope (laughs) it's not that long. You got my Discord, man. You can get a hold of me. This is true. Uh, Follow me on Twitter, um, Android Apps Weekly, every Saturday at noon, still. Saturday at noon. Um, (laughs) And if you guys want to, I mean, I put up some thoughts and uh, and some breakdowns of the event on YouTube. It's Android Authorities YouTube, if you want to check that out. Should be the most recent video at the time this comes out. Link in the uh, show notes. Our other YouTuber is on vacation. So uh, those are the three places you can see my most recent work. Nice, nice. Well, thank you very much for coming on and uh, kind of carrying the conversation here because... Yeah, you're you're always a good guest for that. Um, so I appreciate you uh, coming on, and we'll get you on again. I've got Beyond a Doubt going now, so we'll we'll talk about Beyond a Doubt, and we'll uh, get you in for some other segments, and it'll be fun for sure. Mm-hmm. 
So that's going to do it for this week's episode. I would like to thank Joe Hindi for coming on and chatting about Samsung Unpacked, while at the same time reassuring the leadership at Android Authority that this was done on Joe's own time and no other work products suffered so that Joe could participate in this devil's activity. I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes, but most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.